Hello, my William. My internet is so bad. <laughs> what? Sorry, start again. Start, no, we're going. We'll, we'll leave it in. Your internet is so bad. Um, that is Will Peters. I'm Sean Peter Budge, and welcome to this, the sixth. Six, number six, six, yeah, believe it or not. Episode of the Weekly Watch List, another pop culture podcast brought to you as always by the fair people at MGA Traffic, your one-stop Love shop them. for traffic, transport and waste. William, where do we find you today in lockdown? Uh, in the lounge room because I am on the opposite corner. My room is on the is in the opposite corner of uh, the house to the, where the internet is, mm-hmm. so... I've had to relocate to the lounge room and told everyone to stay in their rooms. Strategic, health conscious, I like it. Um, all wearing masks, I hope, just to make sure that... Um, Definitely. Yeah, whatever. Um, I just want to start with one thing here. As we were waiting for the uh, the hookup to begin, have you been following at all the ups and downs of the whole Johnny Depp, Amber Heard situation? No, I haven't. Yeah, don't bother. But my whole thing, it was just one of the things on... Um, you know, you, where you, where you kind of get the hashtag on Twitter, yeah, in the trending, but you get like a bit of a dropout article about it. And I'm thinking, whilst we're just waiting for this to kick off, they obviously don't like each other. Like <laughs> their relationship's over. That's fine. Yeah, just definitely. separate and just don't worry about it. So, are they still technically? Are they still like together? I don't to think. Like- I don't know. Like it's it's confusing because he's she's actually a witness in his case against the Sun newspaper. Right. So he's so suing... So stay amicable. But no, well, not even. So he's suing the Sun because the Sun called him a wife beater. So yeah. the, Sun's, the Sun's primary witness is Amber Heard, who they're, who they're having try to convince Said the wife. court. <laughs> yeah, who they're trying to convince the court, Johnny beat. But the more that comes out, it looks like... She's more of a piece of work than he is, but he's still a weirdo. Oh, it's fucking absolute nut job. And it's like, just just separate, just walk away from each other, just don't worry about it. You know, you're as bad <laughs> as each other, you weren't right. Just call it a day and we'll all move yeah. on because I don't know, it's just why do I care? <laughs> but anyway, that's a, a jaunt um off topic. The general uh obviously um concept of this podcast is Will and I get together once a week and we talk about what we watched, listened to, or otherwise in, engaged in from a media point of view and whether or not you should. Um, we obviously borrow the concept from the director, Steven Soderbergh, who puts together a year-end kind of diary of everything he watches and when he publishes it, it's an interesting kind of look at what he consumed, when he consumed it and what sort of tracks or paths that takes him down along the way. So we just do it week by week and pick the four that uh, caught our eye, won our praise or will get our scorn. So... Will, you can kick us yes. off this week. I kicked us off last week. So what is your first? My first of four this week. Excellent. I one more than last. Woo! <laughs> um, my first one is, you'll, you'll hate me for this, but um, just a you know, cheeky little rom-com. Oh, no. What is it? Depends um, what it is. It's called Little Italy. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. It's a... I don't, it might have been a normal release, um, but it's on Netflix at the moment. Um, all the, you know, all the girls who love rom-coms are talking about it, and I happened to sit down and watch this one with my uh, girlfriend, mm-hmm. and I was pleasantly surprised. It's got um, Hayden Christensen in it. Yeah, who I was just quickly looking up on IMDb. Um, but yeah, he's, uh, you know, it's done really, really well. Okay. I... 
I I enjoyed it. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's got Hayden Christensen, Emma Roberts, obviously sister of... Uh, my brain's just cooked. My brain is generally just blanked. Well, no, she's she's Julia Roberts' sister. niece. Yeah, younger sister, isn't it? No, no, niece. So she's Eric ah. Roberts' daughter. Right, gotcha. So Eric Roberts and Julia Roberts, who actually, yes. apart from sharing the same surname, you wouldn't guess by looking at them they've got anything to do with each other. They are brother and sister. Um, yeah, so Emma Roberts is Eric Roberts' daughter, Julia right. Roberts' niece. So, yeah, watch this, uh, uh, I don't know, probably late last week. Um, and, you know, it starts with the classic, any kind of Italian movie would have in it, um, the Papa Loves Mambo. Oh, no. Din -it -it, din -it. So, I thought you were going to say, like, proper operatic music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no. So, yeah, it's got, a, you know, just a uh, assortment of, you know, B-grade, C-grade Italian, uh, Italian or ethnic um, actors and actresses. It's got that one woman from the Big Fat Greek Wedding who just, she now plays old Greek or Italian women. Just, <laughs> change, just changes the accent. She's got a mortgage on those Greek yes. or Italian elderly women, <laughs> women roles. Yeah, those lucrative, lucrative. She is typecast. Um, but yeah, basically just goes on. It, the gist of the story is there's, this, there's two families and they run this Italian pizza joint together and then eventually they enter this contest into, you know, See who makes the best pizza in Little Italy. In it's in Canada, so it's not in not in America. It's in Canada. Well, but, he is. I'm pretty sure Hayden Christensen is Canadian. Oh, there you go. Um, he's I, one of the. I, he's, I don't know. He's one of the characters named Sal. <laughs> he's one <laughs> of them one. named Sal. Yeah, one. Oh, Ever <laughs> Roberts' dad is Sal Angioli. I said that as a joke, like Salvatore. He runs now, but he's not really named Sal, is he? Uh, no, he is. Oh, Sal Angioli. Um, and then the dad of uh, Hayden Christensen is Vince. Okay. That's less <laughs> obvious, but... Um, and Alyssa Milano as well is probably the Alyssa most... Alyssa Milano? Uh, yeah, she's she's uh, Emma Roberts' mum. Okay. Um, so... Yeah, so basically it starts off with these two families and they go to this contest and then... Um, one family's famous for the dough and the other family's famous for the sauce. But together. So then, exactly. So then they need to come up with a name and they're like, oh, Campo pizza. No, Angioli pizza. Yeah. And then this big war happens. Yeah. Fast forward, um, you know, 20 years, whatever. Oh, no, they uh, split and, over it. They've got rival pizza shops. Yeah, they do. And they move next to each other. Yeah, so um, it's Romeo so and Juliet, but in pizza yeah. shops. Exactly. Um, but then, you know, everyone's best friends are like secret lovers. Except Ooh. the dads. Well, so <laughs> <laughs> they might, might they might just be in the background. Like, yeah. That that should have been a that should have been a Marvel style <laughs> stinger in credit stinger. Yeah, um, but you know, there's little kind of uh, you know millennial jokes, kind of references to memes. Mm -hmm. um, going yeah, going into a rom com, I'm always a little bit like, I just hope I don't like completely hate it. I actually really enjoyed it. There's an um, alchemy. There is an alchemy to making a rom-com in that yeah. everyone knows how it ends. Everyone knows yeah. the beats. A bit like horror films. Everyone knows the beats. Everyone knows yeah. where it's going. But mm -hmm. st it's there's still like a bit of a mad science to actually making it all come together and work. Yeah. And be satisfying and be rewarding and hit the beats. And when they get together at the end, you go, ah, you feel all warm and fuzzy about it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. So, yeah, done really well. 
Um, you know, no one rides around on a bike because it's Italian. They're all riding around on Vespas. Of course. Um, and, you know, and <laughs> I guess to kind of go with it, one of the dads wears green, one of the dads wears red, yeah. you know, fucking Mario Luigi. Um, so it's got, it's got its cliches, but yeah, it works. It could, it could be. It could have been a really one of those just trashy, almost just to fill a space rom coms on like Netflix, but I think it's held its own and to its credit, it hasn't got a great review from Metascore. The Metascore is only twenty eight. That's not excellent. <laughs> but uh, as you know, someone as cultured as myself, big fan. It sounds pretty highbrow just from you telling me the plot. Uh, looking at the actors involved. <laughs> Look, but as you said, there's there's something about, there's a reason that these sort of films, there's, you know, dozens of them every year. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And like I said, horror films are the same. And that, yes, they do come out of a, a bit of a production line, but yeah. there's a market for them because people, people like the low-stakes drama. Exactly. There's always going to be a bunch of 16-somethings, 20-somethings that, you know, just want to sit down eat a block of chocolate, and watch a rom-com. What's your favourite rom-com? What's your gold standard, generally speaking, rom-com? I talk a lot of shit about it, but love actually. It's obvious. It is good. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's, I really, Notting Hill. um, There's Valentine's Day. That's another good one. That's disgusting. What are you talking about? I like it. I like it. I probably like it more than the other one. It's but, but, um, but they're just Valentine's Day. Is there a Mother's Day one? And then there's New Year's Eve. They're all the same movie. Yeah, I don't know. Personal preference. Sean. I think Personal Notting Hill. Notting Hill for me is top of the pops. Yeah. And then another one that I really like, just as as a really clever way to wrap it all up and keep you interested, is definitely maybe. Okay. When it comes to rom coms. Don't mind. Would it be a rom com? Bridget Jones's. Yeah, series. yeah, they're they're quite they're quite funny. I think, I, you know, I'm not going to sit down and watch all three or four of them, but like Bridget Jones on, Marathon. <laughs> you know, if they're on, I'd be happy to watch it. What else is there? Definitely, may, definitely, maybe is one that I, as I said, I, I just I kind of appreciate that they they wanted to make a kind of a whodunit rom com. Yeah. So that it's it's still a romantic comedy, but it's wrapped up in another genre, and you're like, oh yeah, that's quite quite well done. One romantic thing I've always. Uh, enjoyed was the notebook oh. that's it i'm i don't you know i don't shed a lot of tears but i i, I choke up oh. yeah yeah is it a bit like the sixth sense that once you and this is this is sounds like the worst kind of criticism because it's it's kind of giving a backhanded compliment is that once you see it once and you get the reveal you kind of like yeah. i can never have that feeling again exactly because i know yeah. the reveal so it's really good for one use only but then if you watch it with someone that hasn't seen it, you're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. uh-huh. You're paying attention? Put your phone down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Story um, of my life. I'm trying to think of the other one. There's one that's escaped me. It's like a really good one, but it sounds like so obvious and it's just right at the tip of my tongue, but I can't remember what it is. Maybe we'll come back to it. I'm sure it'll, it'll come up like, you know, it'll just pop into yeah. my head, you know, 15 minutes time. So... Little Italy, you're giving Little Italy... Little Italy, out of 10, I'll give it a... High sevens. High sevens? Yeah. It's IMDb's 5.7. They don't know what they're talking about. Which, to me, seems fair. It doesn't seem like they're really over-committed, 5.7 out of 10. That seems like it's, you know, 
It's a pass. I'll give it a seven point six. I'll bring yeah. it down a bit. I'm gonna hold on. I'm gonna find. I'm gonna see if I can find a a good IMDb review. Occasionally, you get good ones. Someone's given it nine out of ten. It's a bit too high. If you like <laughs> CK Night Two, if you like rom coms, this one's a tragedy. <laughs> Two households <laughs> each bereft of dignity. Ah <laughs> oh, shit. My boyfriend described this as the Olive Garden commercial of rom-coms. <laughs> These aren't, that's not great praise, but I get it. Sometimes hey, you just need something that's light and airy, fluffy, easily digestible. You don't have to think about it too much. And if it hits the right notes, you go, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So pleasant, pleasantly surprised. Good watch. How you long? Know, if you ever, um, a tight... Uh, hundred minutes. Okay. So a bit, bit loose, but could be could be tighter. A little bit bloated. There's, yeah, there's a couple scenes like, eh, all right, this didn't need to be in there, but it's, I can understand why they put him in to set up stories. But um, yeah, little Italy, 2018 movie, good watch. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, well, that's good. My first one this week, Will, and I promise this is the last in my John Hughes marathon. I needed Please. to tick this one off for the last three Thank weeks I've been going back. God. Uh, career opportunities. Now, this film goes for 81 minutes. It's a slog. <laughs> An 81-minute music video in a lot of ways. It's like... It's a, it's a, it is an interesting film to watch in so much that I've long had a bit of a... Not a theory as such, but when you think of 1970s cinema or 1980s cinema or even as you get into the 90s, 2000s, a genre can kind of be defined by a look or a feel, or at least half of a decade, you know, defines a sorry, defines a decade, not a genre. Although a genre does typically come to define a decade. So you have like, you know, in the 50s, you've got arguably, you can, you know, 50s, early 60s, you've got like westerns. Mm-hmm. And then in the 70s, you have like gritty, kind of like crime, like yeah, anti-hero yeah, yeah. films. In the 30s, you had like gangster films yeah. and stuff like that. Um, and then in the 80s, like kind of like teen films were sort of that decade's really genre-defining, kind of epoch-defining film. What would ours be? Well, right and that, this is the thing. Like, at, at the moment, it's hard to determine. You kind of need to wait a while for it to come apparent. Like, the 2000s, you sort of had... Um, 90s, you could almost say, was like Disney had their renaissance. So yeah, had, Like, yeah. the first half of that was like, the, the return of like family films, like blockbuster. What I, what I like to call real animation. Yeah, hand drawn um, yeah. animation. Yeah. And then you could maybe maybe stake a claim that like the two thousands was almost like digital animation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But you also had like the return of like blockbusters. Nineties is probably that on the whole. Nineties is probably like blockbusters on the whole because you had you had stuff like Independence Day, Jurassic Park, um, like genuinely massive massive uh, films. And then now you've probably got franchises, yeah, like inter- interconnected, you know, universes. But um, that's kind of the, the thing of the day. But in the in the eighties, it definitely feels like the one that left the biggest, almost indelible mark was teenage, you know, flicks. Uh-huh. And and some of them were dirtier or smuttier than others. It depended on who was making them. But career opportunities was made in ninety one, and and you watch it, and it feels like a remnant or a leftover. That ship has kind of sailed. This this genre's era was like two or three or four years earlier and it's kind of like a mm-hmm. holdover that John Hughes had written it and because it's got John Hughes name on it 
it'll get made. But if it didn't, people would be like, geez, this is a bit of a ham-fisted attempt to recapture a genre that I think maybe is bled out a bit and, yeah. and, the, and the cinemas cinemas have kind of moved away from. Um, <laughs> so unsuccessful that John Hughes actually asked, like the film would be made, he directed, I think last week we spoke about how he would oftentimes write two movies and direct one of them. So he wrote yep. this and Curly Sue and directed Curly Sue and this was directed by some other doofus. Apparently he was so dissatisfied he asked not to have his name on it. Wow. He was like, you can release it, but I don't want my name on it. <laughs> and he'd used non plumes or he'd used um, aliases, you know, uh, Edmund Dante's was an alias of his. But he was like, yeah, don't, I don't, don't want to be attached to it. But a huge part of the film's selling point was a John Hughes production written by John Hughes. And without that, people probably don't go to the cinema to see it. Jennifer Connelly, it was one of her first kind of major-ish films. Yeah. Um, she was a bit the same. She was like, as like disowned the movie because she's she's just sort of like the eye candy in it and fills that role exceptionally well. Yeah. Um, but it's funny. I remember watching and thinking. So this was released in '91. This was released the same year as um, the Rocketeer, which she was always in. Yeah. Also in, sorry. And the Rocketeer is a funny one because I was actually I was thinking about it while I was putting these notes together. I was like '91. I was like that would have been Rocketeer as well. And have you seen the Rocketeer? No. Great fun. Like, <clears throat> definitely a holdover of Batman comes out and in 1989 there's a big success. And Batman's really pulpy. Like, the character's pulpy and the film's really pulpy. So what they went and did is kind of... You saw then a flow on of Dick Tracy comes out, Rocketeer comes out. A little bit later on you got The Shadow, you got The Phantom. you got all these, like, really pulpy characters from the 30s and 40s comic books, like, being made into film. And The Rocketeer is a film that didn't necessarily do well. But fuck, it's fun. Like, it's such a fun film. And you think that that's a legitimate, relatively big-budget movie that Jennifer Connelly's in that can launch her career. And as an aspiring actress, this is like the little movie that she did because I've got nothing else to do. I've got to do a movie. I've got an offer. So you can sort of – it's funny that they come out in the same year. What a beauty she was at this point in time. She still is now, but like Uh she was like early 20s. Absolute stunner. And – Actually, fun fact, The Rocketeer is one of my earliest memories. Uh, I would have been three and a bit when it came out. Went to the Red Rooster at Tunstall Square and <laughs> their, like, kids' meal deal had, like, you know, their, their Red Rooster wannabe Happy Meal uh, yeah. had, like, these Rocketeer-inspired foam planes. Right. So two bits of foam or three bits of foam and they crisscross together and you put them together. Other, yeah. And then they're, like, trick trick planes you throw them and they'll do loop-de-loops or yeah, yeah, you know yeah. corkscrews or whatever so i would have been three and a bit uh, not sure when the film came out here but it had a tie in at red rooster and dad and i went to the red rooster we had the tropical pack and we had the planes <laughs> and i vividly remember sitting in the red rooster which is now a pizza shop um with these little foam planes so it was funny that uh, watching this film made me think oh yeah jennifer connelly yeah how old would she have been oh she did rocketeer as well and that's one of my earliest memories as a three-odd-year-old. But, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting vehicle to, to sort of appraise so long after the fact as something that was clearly cut from the same cloth as all the other films that he'd done so well, but mm-hmm. so inferior. Yeah. So the young guy, Frank Wiley, or Whaley, plays kind of like the John Hughes teenage avatar and... Whereas Ferris Bueller could have easily been annoying, obnoxious, and just not worked, uh, this guy's like all the worst aspects of that. 
where you're like, <laughs> oh, this guy, like, he, it's not the actor's fault, but yeah. this character just doesn't work. Mm. Like, you just find him, he's a dipshit. There's nothing yeah, likable about him. I was um, just reading the reviews. Um, <laughs> one, two out of ten. Almost entirely forgettable. I honestly believe this film was purely a way to showcase Jennifer Connolly roller skating in a tight white tank top. That's pretty spot on. <laughs> and they're all like, thank, like this is dog shit, but thank God for Jen- Jennifer Connolly. Jennifer Connolly in a tank top is a sight to see. <laughs> oh, but in, in fairness to Jennifer Connolly, I completely understand why she would not be happy with the film because the film does objectify her and doesn't give yeah. her it doesn't give her a lot to do but at the same time it's funny to watch it and she's a lot better in the rocketeer which is a a better film and b a much better role but yeah. it's funny to watch this film and go you actually kind of make this really dog shit role work <laughs> this role doesn't need you to be anything other than the eye candy and all that kind of stuff but you yeah. actually extract more from it than you have any right to so it would have been funny <laughs> Had the Rocketeer not been already made, sort of thing, yeah. um, it would have been funny to see if, in the aftermath, if she actually kicked on from this role because people saw it and went, "You actually did more with that than you should have." Yeah. So maybe there's more in it for you. We can actually see you kick on, but um, oh, it's just—I don't know about you, but do you know? Do you notice like when decades cross over, like we said with the '80s, the '80s had that real feel and vibe, and this is like a leftover element. The early '90s feels like such a cultural, stylistic wasteland. There's no real, there's nothing about that era that seems to have stuck in the public consciousness in terms of fashion, yeah. fashion, music, all that kind of stuff. You had like crunch. Yeah, it, just was de- it was definitely the kind of that layover period where I was actually I was talking to Dad about it today. I was just saying, you know, I would have loved to grow up at my age right now, and I've said to you before in like the late '90s where tech was just kind of coming in and you were, you still, you know, go out and sit at the back and make mud pies, but, like, you still have tech. You have your computer. You have a really big, loud computer with dial-up. But, yeah, there's that early 90s where it's like, it was stuck between old school and new school. You're kind of waiting. It was a decade, part of the decade or part of it was, like, waiting for an identity. And this yeah. film kind of sums it up where it, it – doesn't necessarily want to be what came before it, but it doesn't know what's coming next. So it doesn't yes. know what to be. And that's a huge part of art is like predicting or being ahead of the curve, establishing yeah. a style, establishing a tone. And John Hughes did that. John Hughes established in the early 80s. His, he was the pioneer. He was the pioneer in these kind of films. And then you look at it and go, well, eight years later, it's not unrealistic. It's not unfair to say everyone's just moved on from those kind of yeah. films. And we spoke about that she's having a baby, which was a couple of years earlier, which definitely felt like him trying to make a more serious film. Yeah. So it would have been interesting, actually, and I'm sure you can find these notes somewhere. I didn't bother to look them up, but it would have been interesting <laughs> if this film was actually written, how much earlier than this was it written? Yeah. Was it written in the mid-'80s? Was it written, you know, around about Ferris Bueller and it just didn't get made? But basically the plot, wafer thin, it's a John Hughes day in the life of sort of slice of existence, teenager... Um, what's his name? Whaley. What's his first name? I've lost his name. Um, the actor. Yeah, I had it up before. I can't find it. He, he plays a young guy, Jim Dodge. He's a fast-talking grifter, just bullshit artist. Harmless, but just a bullshit yeah. artist. Small town uh, living. Um, who gets a job at, like, the local Target. Mm-hmm. And he's on, like, night shift. He's on, like, to clean the store up at night. Um, yeah. 
and Jennifer Connolly plays this spoiled rich girl who sort of wants to get out of the small town, get out from under her father, you know, find go to the big city type thing. And whilst in that rom-com vein, them getting together feels inevitable, the reason the film doesn't work is because a bit like the film we spoke about last week, they've just got no chemistry. Yeah. And you're sort of like, if I could actually believe, oh, they actually kind of like each other, they've got a connection, you'd be like, yeah, I get it, but I don't. They're yeah. together because the script needs them to be, mm-hmm. rather than they actually get there organically. So career opportunities, uh, minor, minor, minor John Hughes. So minor, he didn't want anything a part of it. He didn't want his name on it. Um, just, yeah, really forgettable, really ordinary, just meandering, just ugh. And at 81 minutes, like I said, you're sitting there going, this fucking, you're looking at your phone. Going, you know, you find out like you on the scrub, it says film goes for 85 minutes or whatever. And you're like, yeah. how far in are we? <laughs> Yeah, so don't don't really don't bother going out to watch this because it's it's as ordinary. <laughs> uh, so that's my number one. Um, that should see me um, slowly spin away from the John Hughes stuff because I, I don't think I've now I reckon I've seen all of his. I've seen that was a, that was one of the films I'd actually never seen. So no eighties nostalgia for the next month, you say? Well, or? I'm not going to rule it out completely, but. Um, <laughs> Having said that, I, I don't know what of his I would need to go back and actually watch, um, to be honest, because I've seen most of it relatively recent enough for it to be front of mind and fresh. So, yeah. What's your number two? Uh, my number two is a, a Netflix special, um, stand-up comedy, Jim Jeffries, Intolerant. Um, I have always been a fan of Jim Jeffries and his, uh, his type of comedy. I feel like you would too. Would that be safe to say? I don't mind him, but I sometimes find... He's the Australian guy? Yes. Do you find sometimes he sells his his Australianness? Oh, 100%. And why, I feel like, like he, that's... Someone to go global and do that, I feel like they need to. It's like um, it's like Trevor Noah, the same way he sells his South Africanness. Um, You know, if you're not American or English... You have to kind of have a reputation to kind of live up to. Well, you have to be. We're seeing it. You're seeing it at the moment, isn't it? It's funny how that. Is it a bit like how I saw a fantastic tweet a couple of weeks ago that made me laugh? <clears throat> People were saying, "Here, there's all these Australian local content makers who love AFL football and have loved AFL since birth and are making really good stuff." As soon as one no-name hick American says, what's football? Because they're on SEM, yeah. they're on the news, they're getting <laughs> Skyped in. We're all like, oh, you love football, why? <laughs> oh, we love football as well. And you're like, you got this guy that's literally found the game during a fucking halfway through a bong. <laughs> like there's this whole like hole on YouTube of like the title is like average of- Average American looks up AFL. What is AFL? I like I love the um the title images as well. It's them like mouth agape, going like your yeah, hand on head. You're like I've seen the game. Biggest hits ever. Oh my god. No pads. Yeah, I'm like I've seen the game. I don't. Why do I want to watch you react to the game? Yeah. Um. So yeah, Jim Jeffries comedy special. Um. It kind of have you? I take it you haven't watched it. But, I haven't watched um, that special. I've seen Jim's work. Nah, so the whole special kind of runs on this base story of him going on a date um, over the hour to an hour and six minutes. Toy. That's all right. 66. Um, so, yeah, runs over a date and then he kind of goes on tangents, then come back to the story. Another tangent comes back. 
Um, and he's, so he's lactose intolerant and the whole, and like the trailer for the lactose special is like Jim Jeffries finds out that he shits himself. And he just goes on about all these weird little things and he does a lot of generational kind of differences in comedy. And he does this great bit on cancel culture where he, um, he goes, you know, my job as a comedian is to step to the line and, you know, put my foot over and come back and maybe take two steps over and get in trouble and then come back and, you know. And then he goes, 10 years later, you can't go and get that line and then move it back and say, you were 10 steps over. Mm. You can't do that. That's You're not allowed to do that. That's my job is to get to that line. You can't move the line. Only I have permission to move the line. So he just goes on about the millennials. He's like, you guys... <laughs> He's not wrong. It's, it's interesting. I, I actually quite like that. I uh, might have to might have to watch it just for that because it's good. It's very good. There's, I don't watch a lot of comedy specials as such. But, neither, neither do I at all. But a guy that I really like, and I actually do make a, a habit of of watching his stuff when it comes out, is uh, Anthony Jeselnik. I'll Google. Anthony Jeselnik is sort of, and this is the thing: like he has to have a pretty thick skin, and and his his act. His persona is the act. Like, he, he becomes this character. That's his act. And he's like, yeah. he's not a shock comic as such, but he's pretty he's pretty dark, and his whole thing is about just being brutal, about being just ruthless. Yeah. But if that, if that meshes with you, if that hits the right buttons for you, it's hilarious. Oh, and by no means, like, my parents wouldn't really find it super funny. But that's the thing, um, isn't it? They don't I have don't think- to. Yeah, exactly. It's that's the thing with comedy. Yeah, it's not universal. And, no, and 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 I think that even watching a bit of um, uh, as as I'm sure you've seen bits of comedians in cars getting coffee. Mm-hmm. The, my favorite parts of of those shows are when Jerry talks to a comic and they get kind of philosophical about this very topic and they talk about where's the line or um, uh, you know being outrageous or um, offending people or whatever. And, you know, Ricky Gervais had a couple of really good ones and, and he and Jerry were talking about, I think there's one with Eddie Murphy, they have a similar thing and they're talking about how being outrageous or being controversial or whatever, they said, nothing's not funny. Mm. He goes, to a comedian, nothing's not funny. He goes, there are some jokes you would not tell, clearly. Yeah, exactly. He said, but, and this is where Anthony Jeselnik, I love his stuff, is that some of the stuff he says is just, like, so wrong, it's right. <laughs> Um, like he told a joke about he and his mates broke into a graveyard and, yeah. you know, they defaced the graves and we did cause all this damage. But with a good lawyer, we had the charges knocked down to criminal trespass and necrophilia. <laughs> and it's like, it's just the most, you're sitting there going, he's not saying that didn't happen. It's a joke. So the idea of getting like so up in arms and outraged about, oh, what he went into a grave and, he had sex with the dead body. Go, no, it's a joke. And the joke is it's that, yeah, the joke is that he blindsides you with the punchline. Mm. Is that you going? That's the gag. You, go, you don't have to think yeah. it's funny, but there's a lot of people these days. You would have seen it, and I'm sure some of our listeners would have seen. There's a really good bit from a Ricky Gervais special where he talks about this about. Um, his Twitter handle and the idea that he yes. tweets. He goes, I don't know who follows me. I don't make people follow me, but people decide to follow me. And when I tweet, he goes, I'm not tweeting at anyone. Yeah. I'm just tweeting. And the idea was <clears throat> he tweets something out and people are offended by it. He goes, well, 
you know, that's like walking into the town square, walking up to a, a flyer on a pole that says free guitar lessons and going, but I don't fucking want any. Because just it's not, you don't have to think it's funny. Yeah. If you don't, just turn it off. And it's an interesting one that obviously Jim Jeffries is talking about. Like I said, I'll, I'll have to track it down and watch it because whether it be comedians in cars, the Jessonic stuff, when they talk about it, and Joe Rogan does a few good ones when he talks to comics <laughs> about this stuff. Yeah. And it's that, that line, as you said, is ultimately it's a joke. Yeah. And ultimately a lot of these comics are playing characters. And it's the audience's ability to not be offended for someone else. Oh, yeah. And like, say, for instance, who's an actor? I'm trying to think. There's heaps of examples. But, like, I was watching what was I? I was watching a bit of Schindler's List the other night and Ray Fiennes in it plays, you know, a Nazi, horrible yep. person. It's a character. Yeah. He's not actually a Nazi. He's playing a role in a movie. And I think that with comedy... People who aren't fans of Anthony Jeselnik or aren't fans of Jim Jeffries, who aren't fans of Comic A, when they yeah. say something potentially controversial, I don't know, it feels like they can't trigger or reconcile. He's a he's playing a character. Yeah. Um, fuck, who's Chris, Christoph Waltz? Yeah. Like, he's usually the bad European guy. I've seen him in something, I forgot what it was. But he played a you know middle-aged dude. Nothing like there's nothing wrong with him. But I was sitting there going, "What's he gonna do? Is he, he's gonna kill someone. He's gonna he's, he's something's wrong. He's too normal." Mm-hmm. And I think that plays into what you're saying. Yeah, and like say Jim Jeffries, if you if you were friends with him and you just went out for a coffee or lunch or whatever, he wouldn't be yeah. doing his act. No. He wouldn't be – it's not like a sportsman's night routine. He doesn't just stand up there and he, he wouldn't be sitting across from the table and he's doing bits. He would be like, oh, I had 35 beers yeah. last night. Yeah, be, he'd, oh, be, he'd probably, probably be that at like 40%. Yeah. You know, because everything's – on the stage, everything's big. Your personality's big. This aspect that you're playing into or leaning into is big. Like he walks around. He said, he said that he's sober or he's – you know, he hasn't drunk in a while. But, like, the way he walks and talks during the special, you're like, people that don't know he said that, you could think, oh, yeah, he's, um, you know, he's had, like, six beers before he got on stage or whatever. Because mm. he just talks in a kind of slurry, like... But obviously he's putting it on. And, and it works, clearly, because he's, you know, got specials in America and he's got a show on Comedy Central, I'm pretty sure, or he did. Yeah, he did. I don't know what it was called, but it ran for, you know, he had a good run. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. If that's your type of comedy, uh, for anyone else that wants to watch, and that's my that's my number two um, in seeing, the way of comedy specials. You give me a things. thumbs up. Yep. Uh, I remember seeing that Jesselnik. I think he was on uh, Joe Rogan, and I just had it on in the background one day as I was you know doing bits and pieces, and it's it's something that you can obviously listen to whilst yep. it runs on YouTube and. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so fascinated, which is probably why I really like those comedians in cars when he when he they talk shop, when they talk the nuts and bolts of like being a comic. And yeah. I'm so fascinated by just that world. I mean, Jesselnick talked about how he'll do like four year circuits with the, his material, and the idea <laughs> is you spend a year writing where you don't really do any, don't do any gigs, don't do anything. Yeah. 
you spend a year writing it and then you'll spend a year like doing clubs like you'll spend a year just turning up to the improv or turning up to yeah, yeah. um uh, the comedy store and i need 10 minutes you know yeah. like, you know and this is which is what i love like too like if you love comedy have you ever been to a comedy club i haven't no I really need to, though, because I night. do enjoy comedy. And this is the thing, too. Like, you go, and I, and it was after hearing him say this, or rather I'd been to, um, was it the Comedy Store in London? I'm trying to think what it was called. I went there with my brother-in-law. It was great fun. But you see, when you go to the comedy night, like a proper paid on the door to get in, you've got your sort of headlining comics who will do their standard 10 or 15 minutes, which is pretty, yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. tight, whatever. Yeah. And then you've got guys, one guy came up and did a bit, like he did literally one joke. And it was fucking hilarious, but you could see that he was workshopping it. And yeah. He was, he was, he. I need to get on stage. And I need to do it. And I need to workshop it. Yeah. To actually get it to the point where it's the bit was, um, <laughs> without being too crude, it was hilarious. I won't try to replicate it because it's very funny. And it was like this is the technical side of actually doing the joke. It's me yeah. just trying to do it doesn't know justice. But he was doing like he was trying to jerk off. <laughs> but he, what he was looking at, it was like a horse race. Right. So he's like, the whole thing, he's walking you through it, walking you through it. And then when he gets to the end, he accidentally gets the thought of this old woman. <laughs> and he goes, oh, no. <laughs> so the whole bit was building up. He's looking at this, 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 and this. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're working up the inside, blah, blah. And he gets to the end, and it's like the, the shame and indignity. That like right at the very end, this this old, old British actress has popped into his head. So part of the, the bit was the dialogue itself, but as his actual mannerisms and his sort of emotion <laughs> yeah. at the end was really good. The shame uh-huh. is what was funny. But Jessenuk would say you'd go away and for someone like him who's a proper professional comedian, you spend a year basically writing the material, you spend the next year just literally turning up to comedy clubs and he can do this because he's Anthony Jessenuk, he's a known comedian, uh-huh. and just getting 10 minutes and working on it, working on it, working on it. He goes, you then spend the next year like – properly performing tonight Anthony Jesselnik and you properly perform it he goes and then after that after three full years he goes it's so tight it's so wound up it's so perfect you can do it in your sleep because you do like a record yeah or you do the comedy special you commit it to film he goes and then that's it exactly and you You don't say it again you've done it you've done it to death you've released the album you've released the live comedy special those jokes are now cast in stone yeah. Um, and it's he, he's rational. It was much the same way as like in the old days, whilst getting on the, the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson was like a big get for your career. At the same time, it meant that you couldn't really do those jokes again. Mm. Because like some guy would go, I'd, you know, I've done the same routine for five years. But as soon as I go on Johnny Carson, everyone goes, oh, that guy's really funny. And then they come to see me. Oh, I can't do the same jokes. Yeah. So it's that thing. So it's a, it's a tricky one. But no, I'll have to I'll have to hunt it. What's it called? Sorry, intolerant. Uh, intolerant. I'll check it out. So two yeah. two thumbs up. Two thumbs up. Yeah. Well, Definitely. from something you're giving two thumbs up to something that I'm giving two thumbs up to, much yeah. in the same vein as uh, comedians in cars getting coffee, which I really really enjoy. Travel Man. Have you ever seen Travel Man? Will. No. Travel Man is a British, basically to travel shows what Comedians in Cars is, to, like, comedy. Yeah. Richard, uh... Ooh, what's happening? Will's taking his headphones off. I'm just checking now on time. <laughs> um, this is presented by Richard Ayoade, 
who who's done a whole bunch of stuff. He's he's probably most known for being on the IT crowd in the UK. Very very funny guy. Does the British panel shows. Um, he's done. He did. He did Neighborhood Watch. Is probably the biggest film he's been in in America. Um, super super funny guy. Basically, the concept of Travel Man is he teams up with a celebrity, usually a British celebrity. It's a British show, but occasionally, like John Hamm's done an episode, Paul Rudd's done an episode, and they go to uh, a city for forty eight hours. Mm-hmm. So they do a fly in, fly out. We're in this city for forty eight hours. We're going to do all the hot spots, do all the tourist spots, give you a bit of culture. Etc. But wrapped up in his inimitable style, Richard Ayoade has got a style all to his own. Oh, and it's so unique and amazing it's, and fucking hilarious. It's so his, and it's like I, I said to a mate, a mate of mine had seen it and he didn't really like it or didn't like it as much. And I was thinking to myself, I get frustrated watching it because there's so much good shit in it. There's so much funny stuff that he says that most people might be doing the dishes or on their phone or whatever, it is so brilliantly written that I don't think it would ever get the credit it deserves. It's run like nine seasons and or ten seasons, yeah. and I don't think he's not doing – it's it's still going, but he's been replaced for the upcoming 11th season. Yeah. Uh, there's only four episodes in a season, typical British, right. you know, they just run. Because they'd be hard to make, they'd be expensive to make, and yeah, yeah, you do yeah. four of them at a time, they run in classic British style, they get – eight episodes a year, but in blocks of four. Um, it is absolutely brilliant. It is – it hits all the beats that a show like Getaway would. It does nice. the whole, this is how much it's going to cost to get here. This is what you can do while it's here. This is how much it's going to cost you to do this. This is what you should think about doing. You should come and eat at this restaurant, blah, 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 blah. But it's just brilliantly funny. Yeah. And the, thing, the thing that's always stuck with me whenever I think of Richard Ayoade, I think you might have shown me the clip way back when, oh. when that quiz show, yeah. when he pulls out the banana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Richard just pulled out a banana. <laughs> that was Mel B. This is a marathon. <laughs> he goes, I'm going to be quipping right till the last adverts. And what did he say? He goes, he goes, what have you got? He goes, you got, you got your drinks? And he goes, I've got a yeah. Diet Coke and a peppermint tea. He goes, you're out of your mind, Mel B. <laughs> He's those big fat quizzes, by the way. Um, if anyone wants a, <laughs> like, so good. just a fun couple of hours, they run a couple of times a year on ITV or Channel Four in the UK. They're all on YouTube. I'm all on sure. YouTube. They're all on YouTube, yeah. and like it's it's kind of like the rolling crew that do them. Um, Richard Iwade's done quite a few. Russell Brand's yeah. done a couple here and there. Noel Fielding's yeah, yeah, yeah. great. Noel Fielding uh-huh. does does them every so often. Jimmy Carr hosts them. Um, <laughs> um, and he's very good as well. But, yeah, Richard Iwata, if you love any of his stuff, and he is one of a kind, Travel Man is him, his style, his comedy, that fucking snap and fizz, like, dialogue, which is just so... Yeah. Once again, me trying to regurgitate it doesn't know justice at all. I'll um, definitely have to watch it. It's so good. They only go for, like, 20 minutes. They go for 20, 22 minutes. Yep. And it's quite fun, too, to watch the episodes of, like, cities that you've been to. Mm-hmm. And it's quite funny to, like, like, the Barcelona ones. He goes to the Barcelona Museum, the football museum, and he's just completely, like, disinterested in it. He's like, this yeah. is just not interesting at all. Because it's a cathedral to men who kick a ball. <laughs> and then he goes into the... He goes into the stadium. It's like a 99,500-seat stadium, and the lady he's with like, you've got to be impressed. Like, this is... You have to be impressed. 99,500 seats. And he goes, 
why wouldn't they just make it 100? Even 100, because that would annoy me. So yeah. Travel Man is, like I said, um, that old sort of formula, like we spoke about the rom-coms and whatnot, it's, it's a formula that's been done to death, it's been done so often, it's easy to do well, but at the same time, what this does is takes that concept and just can freshens it up and gives it a bit of gives it a bit of snap crackle and pop will. Yeah. Um, and is actually worth watching A from its informative, you know, information. Uh-huh. Yep. And B because it's just fucking hilarious. Today point three on IMDB. It's so good. I love the one um oh, what's his name? Davies. Chris Davies? Oh, I've drawn a blank. He goes to Moscow with um um the headmaster from uh, Inbetweeners. Ah. Uh. Uh, his surname's Davies. Uh, let me go and look it up because it's annoying me now. But he goes to Moscow with him. Yes. And like they're in Red Square and they're talking about, you know, we're in Red Square and blah, blah. And they're all like, yeah, this is pretty good. Yeah, so this is this is good. Um, and Greg, then in the Greg middle. Greg Davies. Greg Davies. And then in the middle of nowhere, like the Russian military walk in and they're doing like a, a parade. <laughs> and they're all standing there going, the Red Square is defended. Red Square is empty. <laughs> because then the military are rolling in. They're going, I think we should get out of here. I think we should move on. Um, but all those guys, Greg Davies has done those big fat quizzes as well. He's always great. Have you heard the, yeah. have you seen the one, um, he, the story he told on Graham Norton, Greg Davies about, he was like a drama teacher. Oh, I but think he, so, yeah. But he, was, he was a drama teacher at like a school for the deaf or something. And um, so obviously you wear head microphones. You know, yeah. So they, it's it's ingenious. My sister used to do this. Obviously, the kids yeah. have the cochlear implants, and it's like a radio. Um, yeah. It's fantastic. You just wear a little headset. They all have the same frequency. Speaker goes into the headset, etc. And he basically said, "Oh, I was really like I was just because I'd gone home to do my washing. He goes, and I'm like I'd accidentally taken home some of my. I think it was his mum's knickers or something. He goes, I ended up accidentally. <laughs> I was wearing them and." He said he went to the bathroom during the middle of class and he was like admonishing himself for like what a he goes, Where are you going? He goes, Look at you. He goes, he goes You're wearing your mum's underpants. Blah blah blah. Goes, you know, I really had a bit of a breakdown. He goes, when I got back to the classroom, one of the kids just points at their ear. He hadn't he hadn't turned the microphone off. So Richard Iowade's travel man. Absolutely can recommend. Um, there are some clips on YouTube, just clips. If you yep. want to whet your appetite? Uh, yeah, I think yeah. there's one or two full episodes on YouTube, but um, hunt it down, give it a watch. I think you'll enjoy it. I think I will too. I'll note it down. I've got quite a few if you want me to oh, transfer them or something. Legally, of course. Legally, always legally. Um, nice. Nice, nice, nice. Nice. So, uh, my number three is uh, a... I believe it's Hulu special in America, but it's on Amazon Prime over here. Um, by recommendation of my lovely girlfriend's mother, Little Fires Everywhere. The fuck is that? Um, it has Reese Witherspoon oh, and uh, Kerry Washington. Hold on. Yeah. What? I'm holding. Oh, no, no. I get you. I just saw it. Literally just saw an, like a pop-up ad for this. Yeah. Um. So I've watched the first episode. Maddie's, I think, gone away with it and watched probably two or three now. Um, Betrayal. Yeah, but it's not. But like, I was like, that's fine. You can go ahead and watch it. If I want to go back and watch it, I will. Um, but uh, yeah, big fan. It's kind of it's 
obviously made in 2020, but it's based in the 90s um, of these kind of two different families. And Do they own pizza I'm, shops, competing pizza shops? And they, no. no one of them don't. makes the so, base, one of them makes the sauce. Kerry Washington, um, obviously Af- African-American actress, um, plays the role of like a, a single mum living basically in her car or where, wherever they can rent as an artist. Is it a big car? Um, Is it a like a station wagon? No, it's like a little Datsun. Oh, no. It's like a piece of shit. Um, so they're – what are you doing? Well, Will, um, just a, sorry to interject your story about um, – <laughs> It's a show called Little Volcanoes, or whatever it's called. Little fires everywhere. Little fires everywhere. Um, in approximately five minutes and 22 seconds, uh, Pop Culture is having its Funko 2020 summer convention sale, uh, and there are a couple of Funkos that I would like to get, so I'm just getting my wallet ready um, <laughs> because the page is you basically have to form in a digital queue to get into right. the site. Right. Um, so the site opens in five minutes, but usually I'm fucking – I have to wait like – I reckon I've done quite a few of these. I'm always waiting for like 45 minutes. It's bullshit. Okay. So, so continue. The pot, so the pot will be done. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so if I get excited, it's because I'm in the site. and uh, we I'll, mo- I'll, go, I'll go with mine. I'll yeah, just, just go going. solo. Yeah. Um, getting my card out there. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, and then so Kerry Washington plays single mother um, who's an artist. And then Reese Witherspoon plays uh, this mother of the Richardson family, who's this, you know, picture-perfect American family. Um, they've got four kids, three lovely favourite kids, and then they've got one, like, kind of, you know, party one that at the time in the 90s wants to be edgy Drew Barrymore. Um, she wants to and, literally be Drew Barrymore? Yeah, just, you know, kind of that weird, like, I don't give a fuck, 90s Drew Barrymore that we all love and know. Um, but uh, it's from what I've heard from episode two and three, is very true to the uh, true to the title. There is literally little stories, and like there's so many different stories in this series that they all eventually are meant to tie up at the end. Um, but yeah, first episode didn't hate it. Um, basically, the relationship between Reese Witherspoon and Kerry Washington is Reese Witherspoon is like the landlord. Um, so earlier in the episode, she sees the car. She lives in this like uh, community. Um, that's like you know exclusive. And you have to get in or whatever. And she sees this car. Oh, like she a sees, like a gated uh, community. Yeah, yeah, she sees her her car with um, you know, sleeping bags and bags and whatnot on top of it, and rings the police and says, you know, I think there's someone that you need to check up on. I think they're living in their car. That turns out that car then comes to um the place that Reese Witherspoon is leasing out, and then she makes a connection and gives it to her for like super cheap. So it starts off all nice, but then. Even within the first episode, there's, you know, two little different stories that could go either way. Um, but There's no such is... thing as a free lunch, Will? No, no, no. Um, so, yeah, just a, it's a drama. Uh, uh, it's based on a book, as far as I'm aware. Um, but, yeah, it's it's, it's an absolute roller coaster. Um, hence, probably being why it's a drama. But, do, you, uh... do you think that sometimes we can be a bit blasé about... Like how good of an actor, yes, but like how good of a career like Reese Witherspoon has had. Oh, to have not like fallen out and like do drugs and yeah. – well, she, she probably has done drugs, but, you know. She hasn't, um, you know, like her life hasn't fallen apart no, in front exactly. of our very eyes. I think she's had a – She's now becoming the, you know, she's the, the, the mother mm-hmm. in so many roles, especially in the last couple of years, and then eventually she'll turn into that – she'll probably be in some of those, you know, 
fifty something year olds film soon. And she'll be you know she'll be she'll be the new Diane Keaton. Yes. Because there's been no one's really replaced Diane Keaton from when she was like the mum. Yeah, exactly. Or the um, single, you know, the single, you know, divorcee trying to get back in the market, making yeah. fi- making films for that, you know, middle class or middle middle aged yeah. middle class band. So, um, yeah, the first season. I think there's only one season at the moment. Yeah, so the one and only season is on Amazon Prime um, in Australia. If you have, if we have any international listeners, welcome. Um, shout out to you. Bienvenue. But, yeah, uh, if you if you are in America, it is on Hulu, um, Amazon Prime in Australia. So, yeah, first episode, um, I was kind of in and out of it um, just because I was busy doing something else. But from what I watched, it was really, really quite good. Um, nothing bad to say about it. It's got a 7.8 on IMDb. Um, episodes are about 50 minutes long. 50 minutes to an hour um, and yeah if you're looking for something to you know keep you on your toes um, yeah, she'd, be, she'd I, be well busy man like if you think about Reese Witherspoon at the moment she did or does Big Little Lies she's doing yeah. the morning show on Apple TV which was yeah okay, true which was okay it was it was alright um, yeah. and then she got this as well she would be so busy she still is a mighty good looking woman Yes. Just looking, just looking at her. I, I, I personally think, you know, you know, I personally rate older Reese Witherspoon to younger Reese Witherspoon. Really? Have you seen uh, Cruel Intentions recently? No, I have not. I'm just going off, you know, legally blonde to now. I would recommend checking out Cruel Intentions before making such an incorrect statement. <laughs> <laughs> not to say that she, she uh, isn't at the moment. Um, an attractive woman. I'm just saying. Some Cruel intentions. Come on. <laughs> Come um, on. So yeah, little fires everywhere. Uh, recommend it if you. I don't reckon you'll watch it, but um, you know if you've got a little, you know if you if you're out there with your partner, you've got nothing to watch. Chuck it on. Much like Little Italy. Um, <laughs> just chuck it on. You just know, throw you it on. Like let's throw it on. Oh, that's what I think this podcast is for. It's for the people that don't know what to watch. That's true. It is. You've actually cut right to the very core of what this whole thing's about. So you're giving that a thumb up? I'm giving it a thumb up. Okay. Not, not two. So one thumb up with like a, oh, maybe if I watch some more episodes. Yeah, you probably want to see where it goes from there. But a good start yeah. for those kind of shows is important. Definitely. My third one for this week is, uh, how did I get onto this? Oh. There's a bit of a backstory here because this is a film that came out in 2007, I believe. Uh, directed, written, and directed by Michel Gondry, very creative French filmmaker who's made a lot of <coughs> you know, short films, made an unbelievable amount of like music videos. Um, probably best known for writing and directing *Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind*. Um, I was thinking, I was sitting there going like, the AFL clubs or NBA clubs, you know, all those sporting teams that are in hubs at the moment, I could only imagine how difficult it would be, like, content-wise, sort of just doing the same thing, you know, training updates, videos about, oh, we're sitting in the hallway, we've got nowhere to go. TikToks. Well, TikToks. Like, that's fine, and, and I get it. It's, it's you know, 47-minute wait time to get in the website. <laughs> Jesus. I was literally about to ask for a time update. Just once. Literally, I've done this about half a dozen times now because I do every – this would have been uh, Comic-Con. When can you start lining up, though? 
It, oh, like whenever, whenever, yeah, like oh, whenever right. you you you, you just get on the website <clears throat> and then you're just in the line until you get let in. Right. Um, yeah, I would have done. I've done this heaps of times now because Comic Con they do it for they do it for Emerald City Comic Con, they do it for the New York Toy Fair type thing, they do it for a whole bunch of cons. Sean, 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 just hold on a little. You're getting you're getting a little bit too cool for me right now. What do you it's mean? Just, whoa, whoa! <laughs> I'm just, the the cool fact is just going <laughs> off the scale. Well, I try. <laughs> <laughs> um, if they saw me, there'd be no cool. Believe me, I'm wearing my Australia Post uniform and a snood. Um, every time, you would reckon just once it would let me in early. Every time I get let in, it's like 45 minutes. It's bullshit. Nah, it's work so for that. anyway, this film is called Be Kind, Rewind. And I saw this film when it was released at the cinema and I very much enjoyed it. However... I'd eaten too many Maltesers and had a bad case of the runs. <laughs> so I held on for as long as I could and I legitimately never saw the end of the movie. Um, uh, I, 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 it's funny, re-watching it during the week, I, I thought I must have missed like the last three minutes. Jack I, Black. So what I was saying, sorry about the AFL thing, is that obviously all these clubs are in hubs and what do they do to pass the time? And yeah. I thought to myself, be kind, rewind. If anyone in one of those media teams has ever seen this film, it's a gold mine. So basically yeah. the premise of Be Kind Rewind is Danny uh, um, Danny Glover's character owns a like a really ordinary video store. It's on like a corner corner house, like tenement, um, which some local developers want to buy and redevelop. Um, but the video store is like complete dog shit. They legitimately still rent out VHSs. Um, yeah. Moz Def, who's actually not known as Moz Def anymore, he's changed yeah. his name. Um, play uh, works at the video store and Jack Black's character is just like a local kind of acquaintance kind of friend that they come into contact with. Jack Black's character sabotages or attempts to sabotage the local power plant, which is just down the road, and in doing so, magnetises himself. And then when he comes into the video store the next time, he wipes all the tapes. Right. So it's a bit of fun, a silly concept that you, you give yourself over to, but he wipes all the cassettes. So yep. when a lady comes in, and wants to borrow a movie, she borrows the VHS, takes it home, tape doesn't work. And they're sort of going, oh, what's the deal, what's the deal? Long story short, they figure out Jack Black's magnetised, he's wiped the tapes. So in an act oh, of desperation, dear. and this is the ingenious, the ingenuity of the film, in an act of desperation, they remake the movies with a home video. <laughs> and it becomes, in the local community, it takes on a life of its own, and this local community start requesting them to as they call in the film, to Swede, S-W-E-D-E, to Swede a film. So some guy might come in and say, I want you to Swede uh, Men in Black. And then they, the next day, they make Men in Black. But the beauty is they make it from memory. So what you get is all these fun, like they do Robocop, they do Boys in the Hood, they do all these funny things, and you get some really good montages of them remaking... Uh, like Ghostbusters and, and uh-huh. making all these movies. So I thought to myself, AFL team should just Swede some films. They should talk to whoever in, in their playing group has got a bit of personality and say, do we want to try to remake a, like, a scene of a movie? Mm. But knowingly do it like kind of okay, as best you can match the shots up. And the, no one's got the balls. No to one's do got the that. balls to do it, and that's what I thought. No one's got the balls to do it. But if they did they it, have too much of an image, and it's too, it's too, too like takes too much for the regular man to think. Like they just, they need quick content 
quick, like yep. yeah. And the and the high risk, high reward because if it worked, you could kind of keep doing them. Yeah, hundred percent. And each player does one that they like or a movie that they like, and you get a few of them. But the basic premise of the film, what I love about it, is sort of what it says about storytelling and like making art and like the community. The idea that the only thing that's stopping you or I from going and making a movie is this idea that, oh, we can't. Because this, what this film does is it, it stresses and Michel Gondry being the filmmaker that he is and really creative guy, the whole crux of it is tell a story if you want to tell a story. Yeah. You know, go out there, be creative, go and do it, do it for yourself. You don't have to do it for thousands of people, millions of people, but like go out and be creative. You know, make the most of what you've got at your disposal. And he's obviously doing it in a multi-million dollar film, but the heart of the message is this really powerful, really compelling, nothing standing between you and doing what you want to do, telling the story you want to make, writing a song, doing a podcast, nothing standing between you and doing it except the idea that I can't do it. Oh, I can't do it. It's too hard. So it's a really, really fun film um, you know, with a really, really good message at its heart. Um all the stuff where they're sweeting the movies and they're like making remaking all these films and there's the great sequences where they're putting them together and they're getting creative with in-camera effects. Um, like, uh, for example, there's a really good bit in, um, you know in Men in Black when they get in the car and it's up driving on top of the tunnel? <laughs> so the idea is that they're getting in the car, it's on top of the tunnel. They put a whole bunch of matchbox cars on a big, um, what do they call it, like a big... Track? No, like what's oh, like a big um, toilet roll? No, just drawing a blank on the word. How embarrassment! You know, like dildo? yeah, big dildo. They put a whole bunch of matchbox cars <laughs> on a giant dildo. No, like they put a big a big sort of um, a wheel, and they yeah. put a big cylinder. And they put a whole bunch of cars on the cylinder, and then roll the cylinder so it looks like the cars are moving forward. Okay, yeah, and yeah, they yeah. turn the camera upside down, uh-huh. and you sit there and you go. Like, as silly as it sounds, you're like, that's how they do it. Like, yeah. that's how they do in-camera effects with, like, plates and and how they used to do in-camera effects. It's remarkable. You watch old Chaplin films or anything like that. This is that. This is paying homage to a level of creativity to kind of go beyond the techniques and the technical capability you have. Mm. How do we get this effect? How do we get this shot? How do we tell this story? And it's it's great fun. I love it, love it, love it. Uh, I actually couldn't remember why I didn't go back to rewatch the last little bit all those years ago because I loved the film. I really enjoyed the film at the time. I just desperately had to go to the toilet um, or else I would have crapped my pants <laughs> in the Eastland cinema. Um, so Be Kind Rewind, absolutely love it. Michel Gondry is a, a really super creative guy um, who has had a couple of missteps along the way but not through lack of trying, not through lack of trying to be inventive and try to be fun. So... He's won an Oscar. You yeah. don't need. You don't. Once you've done that, you can do whatever you want. Well, he he's a guy care. that he's a guy that doesn't make the art, like he does it for himself. And really, the only thing that looking through his filmography, the only thing that you could kind of look at and go, "Geez, eh, yeah, I don't, you, maybe you did that for the wrong reason," is the Green Hornet, which he <laughs> which he directed. And you're like, yeah. you look at that and you go, "Geez, I." It's not really something I'd kind of associate with you, yeah. um, but you did it as a Hollywood kind of experiment. And it, they probably just offered you a shitload of money, yeah, that's and, it. and it just didn't work. So, 
Um, look, awesome film. Very, very, very highly recommend. My current wait time is 22 minutes. It's gone down a bit. Jeepers creepers. We're going to have to... Well, do you want to do your last? No, no, you case. go. Like, seriously, I look at it now. It says 22. It'll say 46 when I next look at okay. it. <laughs> um, so my fourth uh, is another Netflix special. I've been on the specials this week. Um, I'm not special. It's a, you know, it's funded by Netflix. So is that a special if it's funded by Netflix? It's a Netflix production. Yeah. Um, a documentary, uh, I guess you could classify it as war, doc- war documentary, uh, Father, Soldier, Son. Um, it basically follows, it spans over 10 years. Um, it was done, I think it was also in conjunction with the New York Times as well. Um follows a father that's a single dad. Um, the mum's, you know, pissed off or gone with someone else or whatever. He fights for the United States Army um, and then the, his two boys live with family or whatever. Um, and it kind of follows their kind of journey of, um, as IMDb describe it, love, loss, redemption and legacy. Um, so I won't spoil too much because I personally absolutely adored this it was okay. unreal um but yeah spans over 10 years there's some loss there is a little bit of like a little bit of tragedy um but if there's something that you just want to i guess we don't really see we see bits of it of kind of through trump and whatnot how american some americans are but this gives you a really good insight into a super like America family um, and there's just the way of kind of life over there where if you can't afford college it's mm. like oh okay you either work in this shitty town for the rest of your life or you go in the army people Simple. probably don't like I think here sometimes we can not just here but everywhere sometimes I think people's understanding of or perception of what the military is and what the military means. For a lot of people, it's an opportunity. It's a way out. Mm. It's a job. It's a steady job. It's a sense of discipline. Exactly. Um, it's a sense of, like, utility. Um, mm. Sometimes it's a belief thing, but they obviously, as you said, really strongly believe in, in whatever cause they're fighting for. But sometimes I feel like people lose the perspective of people in the army aren't conscripted. No, not at all. They're there by choice. Yeah, and they're a but professional. Half the time, yeah, half the time in America though, the, the a father who's been who's a who's a veteran is just so patriotic that yeah. the sons or and daughters are almost like well they oh, live up but they grow up there. Don't want to. Yeah, you don't want to you know be in the army. You're insulting me, whatever. But um, you know, I'll, he at one point the dad gets one of his legs basically blown apart, and um, when he's on one of his services service tours tours um and you know the and before that the kids are all like you know just really like me my me and our dad are so so active we love doing all this other stuff we just really hope that he comes home safe and like to to their credit i guess they'd have to be when they're being left alone for like six months every time um they're, they're they're mature for their age at the time, and they're I think eleven and seven, um, and they're just they're pretty aware on what obviously happens um, in war. It's not like a you know oh he just goes over and works. It's like oh you don't shoot people, um, but yeah, 
insane watch. And again, I said before, I don't get choked up easily, but this one really, really got me almost there. I almost cried. Um, and there's nothing wrong with good man cry, but we like I, um, uh, Terry uh, Terry Terry Crews in was it Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs? <laughs> um, yeah. So Father Soldier Son on Netflix. It was in the trending top ten um, a couple of days ago. Might still be there. Not too sure. But if you, I I love a good doco. I find myself quite often just. Get it again, getting into little Netflix or YouTube holes, um, whether it be an hour or you know 20 minutes. Um, this one runs hour 40, um, definitely worth the hour 40, um, in my opinion. It's only it's only been out for a week, so Ooh, hot, if you piping hot, hot, oh yeah, hot off the uh, donut the, grate, <laughs> donut yes. conveyor belt. <laughs> Um, Do you yeah, find so, yourself doing that? You walk past the Donut King and you see the donuts like slowly uh, making their way. You go, I'll just have two of those freshies. <laughs> and then, then if they don't get the fresh ones, yeah, no, 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 fresh, no. You maybe didn't fresh. hear me. You maybe didn't hear me. The I want to burn my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so yeah, it's it's a you know it's fairly serious doco. Um, as we digress from donuts. Um, but uh, yeah, donuts, Father Soldier's donuts son. to war, <laughs> donuts to war. Uh, Father Soldier's son, huge, huge, yes. I um, think, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's once again like we have it here, but certainly not to that degree. We're over there, and look, you can get all conspiracy theory ish and go, well, America need to be at war at all times because war is a business and it's an industry and it's a huge money and employs a lot of people. Um, but as you said, for a lot of people, they look at it and, and it's it's a college education, um, it's a pension, you know, for one, obviously, when their career wraps up, it's a steady, you do your tours of duty and maybe um, you get sucked into that lifestyle and you keep going back, keep going back, keep going back, but it's good money. Um, and then when you actually, you know, call it a day, um, you might either, yeah, go on the veterans pension or you might go and work at whatever Air Force base and be a drill sergeant or whatever. It's it's a the way of life. Yeah. You know, for as you said, this guy comes in, he's his old man is in the army, so I'm in the army, therefore there's that lineage yeah. of, you know, service. Um, which I think sometimes people can wrongly criticize for the wrong reasons as to why people do it or why people feel strongly about it. So um, that sounds like an interesting watch. Yeah, I, you know, if I'm not sure, I don't think my dad really enjoy it, but your my dad, your dad might be into that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, I feel like it's a good uh, as as men because it's literally a father and his two sons. I would highly, highly recommend it to watch it with with your dad if you get the chance. Um, yeah, just just a. Fucking good watch. <laughs> so I'm trying to find the. Uh, I'm trying to find the line. <laughs> Shit, where is it? Um, Dennis Leary, like asshole, and he goes, "I like football and porno and books about war." <laughs> <laughs> these, these days, you can replace uh, books with movies. You're an average. You're an average guy. You like porno, football, and books about war. 
movies about war, um, which is just, which all of those things are true. <laughs> Porno, <laughs> football, well, and movies about war. I mean, you know, maybe we could review oh. some starting next week. Oh. Um, Big butts five, classic. <laughs> So two thumbs up, Seance. Two, yeah, two big firm Ooh. thumbs up. Firm thumbs. Thumb, thumbs up, yeah. Two <laughs> firm thumbs. Uh, well, I've been relatively positive this week. I'm going to end on a very positive note. A real treat on Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever day it was. It doesn't matter. I think I watched it yesterday. Um, on YouTube uh, for a charitable cause, um, the stars and creator of one of my favourite sitcoms of all time got together for a special event. They did a, a kind of like a live episode via Zoom, like a table read, but via Zoom. Um, and then they did like a, a and a after that, once again via Zoom. Happy endings. And I was absolutely wrapped uh, to see it as a big fan of the show. It ran for three seasons, uh, 2011 through 2013, before getting cancelled because no one was watching it. Um, and it's an absolute... Classic for me show. I love it to death. One of the, the best shows, Comedy Wives, I've ever watched. Um, taken well, well, well too soon. Sort of like the anti-Friends, which seems unfair because, like, unless you lived through the height of Friends popularity, like all those shows, you've got no idea of how big that show was. It was brilliant. It was good fun. I always sort of laugh. You, you mentioned earlier with Jim Jeffries talking about, you know, moving the line from 10 years earlier etc. I always laugh when people watch like Friends and they go, oh, it's so transphobic and it's this, that, and the other going. It was, at the time, it was the most popular show on TV. Exactly. So it's popular for a fucking reason. Stop trying to move the goalposts or rewrite yeah. the rules. Go, it was the most popular show on reason on TV because people liked it. Mm. You know, what people weren't watching it, you know, as an act of self-flagellation, like as punishment. Um, <sighs> yeah, Again. fuck you, Ross. <laughs> Um, I have to tune in. I have to tune in, have to tune in because uh, I hate it so much. Um, but it was so awesome. Uh, this show, Happy Endings, they only did fifty-seven episodes, and when you watch back, like it's quite funny. Um, quite a few of the people who, who were involved in Community <coughs> were involved in this. Quite a few of the people who were involved in, like Brooklyn Nine Nine, um, were involved in this. Several have kicked on. Uh, Lud- Ludwig. Um, Gunnarsson, I think his surname is. It was so funny to be watching an episode of Happy Endings and be like, "What the fuck do I know that name? Ludwig Gunnarsson, music by." And I looked it up. He did the score for The Mandalorian. Oh. So it's that funny thing where you go. He was working on a few. He did. I think he did a bit of The New Girl, and I think he did a bit of Community as well. And you, you go. He's kicked on from that as like his entree into doing quirky little sitcom scores. How funny. To actually being like he's a proper musician, he's a very talented musician, to producing a really unique score like that. Um, Joe and Anthony Russo directed a whole bunch of episodes. They went on to do just a couple of little films you might have heard of them, uh, Avengers, uh, Civil War, Endgame, Infinity War, Captain America, uh, Winter Soldier. Chuck it on the list, I think. So they started, you know, working on that. And just generally speaking, like, um, just the cast, like Damon Wayans Jr., unbelievably funny guy. Uh, yeah. He's in it. Um, Adam Pally, really, really funny guy, plays Max. He, he's great. Zachary Knighton had never done comedy. I haven't seen a whole lot of stuff he's done else, elsewhere, but he's sort of like the Ross. He's like the straight man, mm-hmm. like who, who his own sort of stupidity is what's played for laughs, but he's excellent. <laughs> Elijah Cuthbert, um, she's in it. She's, she's quite funny, and it's a, a good role for her because 
hadn't really done a lot. We spoke about Jennifer Connelly earlier kind of being cast because she's good looking you know, early on in those films and Elijah Cuthbert's a bit like that. She's not an outstanding actress, but um, she's very, very, very funny in this show. Casey Wilson was on SNL. Um, she's great as well. She's she's really funny. Uh, and Eliza Coop, she's the last. She's the actress. Um, her her character is probably the worst of the lot, but um, that's not her fault. She's just playing it the way that she's being told to play it. Um, that's fair. So it was great fun to obviously see them all get back together and do a the live like new episode, which was you can mm-hmm. sort of imagine you and I oh, yeah, had some really good bits in it, and then B to do the Q and A and kind of get back together and see that they all feel so passionately about a show that even though it was cancelled after three seasons, it's got like a really strong cult following that all the actors and creators involved still feel so, I suppose, proud to have been a part of something, even though it didn't get the critical and commercial acclaim they would have all hoped it did. Um, For people to still yearn and care for it 10 years after it's gone off the air. So it was sort of quite heartwarming to see that they were all um, still so invested in it. So... They did the classic will at the end, you know, would you come back? Yes, of course we would. Absolutely we would. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Somebody pick us up. Yeah, Somebody yeah. pays, we'll do it tomorrow, and you're going, fuck <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but that obviously sends you down the, the, the rabbit hole of rewatching old yeah. episodes. It's great fun. It's really good. Um, one of my personal favourites, like I said, only aired for the three seasons, but an outstanding show. So, uh, so good to see them all get back together and do the reunion and um, potentially stoke the fires for more, but... Uh, more than anything else, go back and revisit it and, you know, love it all over again. So yeah. that was really, really good. I was looking forward to that all week and I was very happy that it did not disappoint. Um, 11 minutes, 11 minutes till I get into that website. <laughs> <coughs> Just at the moment. Uh, my, Clearly, uh, the things on your mind, sure. Well, yeah, <laughs> it went from 45 to kind of mid-20s and then it went to 18 and it was on 18 for a while. Now it's on 11. So what, uh, kind of, what kind of pops are we looking for? Not too many. The only ones I've got my eye on from this current drop are um there's a couple of anchorman ones yeah so i'll get the ron burgundy and the brian fantana uh, ron burgundy ron uh, brian fantana's holding the sex panther uh, bottle <laughs> so i look forward to getting that one uh and then there's a marty mcfly i kind of i collect the um back to the futures so there's a a special like marty mcfly variant so uh there i think they're the only ones there wasn't i think they're Obviously, with COVID going on, generally these big conventions are massive deals and they do the big rollouts and the big convention centres and they kind of, last year, they had lots of stock, like lots of product, whereas yeah. this year they're probably like, we'll just hold back. We'll hold back yeah. some of the others. We'll, we'll do a, a, a minimal drop and we'll keep some of the, the big ones potentially um, for down the line. And also, too, yeah. like you think about they did, like certain films obviously been delayed which yep. would be carrying product. So, oh, of course. Absolutely. But yes, um, nine minutes. Getting oh, excited. Uh, what is your pick of the week, Will? We do that. We wrap up at the end and say your pick of the week, your your recommendation of the week. Obviously, you've been fairly positive, all things told. But Ooh. your number one for the week is? My number one of the week will be Father Soldier's Son. Okay. Um, I... I, think, I don't know why. I think I was just, I couldn't sleep or something. I woke up at like, I normally, you know, sleep in 8.30, whatever, 9 o'clock, um, you know, a bludger like me. Um, so just thought I'd throw something on. Um, and yeah, Father Soldier's Son, I was laying there just like, God damn, this is unreal. So highly recommend. Were you watching it at night? You're like, i got to be up in 12 hours. <laughs> no, I was, I was watching it in the morning. 
Um, so yeah, I've got to have a nap in three hours. <laughs> uh, Father, soldier, son. Okay, and where's that? Netflix. Netflix. I'm torn because I'm obviously not going to give it to career opportunities, which I didn't really enjoy at all. Um, but the other three are, have all got merit: Travel Man, Be Kind Rewind, and the Happy Ending is Reunion. But I think, I think. I'm going to give it to Travel Man only because I would like people to watch it. Right. I think that there's there's something in it for everyone. And if if Richard Iowa, if it hits you between the eyes, you'll love it. Where can they find that? Uh, I don't know. They also being me. Well, like I said, I, I've got it on. I've got it, so I can I can we transfer you the first season. And I promise I'll download the files this time. Well, well, yeah, you didn't download. You still haven't touched Palm Springs. <laughs> completely it. pointless. Um, yeah, Travel Man. I think Happy Endings Reunion. I absolutely love to death. Um, but obviously, the show wrapped up seven years ago. So if you haven't already seen it, um, the chances are it's probably that ship has sailed. Uh, and Be Kind Rewind is just if it is on a Netflix or a, or a Stan or. Foxtel Go or whatever, I, I do recommend you check it out if you haven't checked it out because it's a really good, fun film that I think yeah. has a really excellent message at its heart. But Travel Man, 22 minutes, easily digestible. If you like comedians in cars, if you like those bite-sized, sort of mm. whip-smart uh, kind of comedy programs wrapped up as something else, yep. give it a look. I'll give that two thumbs up. Excellent. And where can they find us, Sean? Where can they find us? You can find uh, Will on Twitter, on the PSN Network, and Instagram <laughs> at uh, Willie P, spelt W I double L double Y double P double E. Oh boy. Oh, he's, he's got it. Oh, <laughs> for those out there that said that he wouldn't, he's proven wrong. Uh, and then me at Sean Peterbudge, all one word, yes. conventional spelling, no silliness. Um, <laughs> except potentially well, I've got in a common name. I'm sorry. I've got a common fucking name. <laughs> got a common <sighs> head. Uh, but yeah, that's it. And obviously, the weekly watch list. We're at watch list weekly on Twitter because weekly watch list was taken. Bastards! Fucking pricks! Should have started this show six years ago. Let's DM them and just say, "Listen, listen. What are the odds? You know, Sean will sell some nudes. Oh, but even or sell the nudes. I'll be like, just give them to them if they want. <laughs> that's going to seal the deal. Uh, but no, look for this week. It's been a pleasure to have you listening to us. Um, do get in touch with anything you come across that you like um, and stay in contact with us on Twitter and the like because we always enjoy interaction. But for me, Sean Peterbuck, thank you so much. We'll catch you next week. For Will Peters. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.